you may have experienced something um, that's a fairly common thing that happens that uh, there's this parking lot phenomenon that happens when everybody is trying to leave an event at the same time. You ever been in that position? Some of you very recently. We'll talk about that one. And people react differently, but I'm going to tell you how it is for me. You try to find a spot where you know you can escape quickly. You try to figure out where the main line is going to be because inevitably when you're leaving a big event and there are a bunch of people trying to file into a small little space at one time in their cars, there is one line that becomes the main line that everybody's in and then everybody else is trying to get into. And you, you don't always predict what that, where that line's going to be, but if you're not in that line, you're sitting there and you're watching and you have one goal and one goal only. It is this goal, penetrate the main artery. You get in there and, that, and life will be better. So you're waiting and you're trying to gauge by the relative size and speed of vehicles and, and how quickly they are, who the, the sap is that you're going to try to cut in. And then you do this little thing where you nudge and nudge and nudge and nudge. And then the person nudges and nudges and nudges. And there's this little chicken thing goes on about who's going to move out of the way first to make room. And, you, and then sometimes there are gestures given. And there are things said, and you look pleadingly with the person like, come on, I got children here, you know, and anything you can. Finally, somehow, some way, you weasel your way, you get in, and you get that, you just the edge of your car in enough that you're in. And then th- things move away, you move in, and now you're in. And, f- and this is what happens to me. I don't know if it's true for you. You may be nicer than me. When that moment happens, something instantly changes. And my goal shifts dramatically, and no longer is my goal penetrate the main artery. My goal is now one thing and one thing only, protect the main artery. (laughs) And I know your tricks. I know what you're trying to do. Don't think I don't see you over there trying to get in my way. And it ain't happening because I've been sitting here a long time. I don't care how long you've been sitting there. I have been sitting here long and my time is valuable. I'm getting out of here. That's my life. That's what it's like for me. Now, if you relate to that at all or you experienced it at all, you might relate to something else that happens in people when it comes to their spiritual journey. Because some of you have come into this place, perhaps you just wandered in here recently. Perhaps this is your first time. You walk in, you wonder about God, you wonder how you where you stand with him. You want to make sure if you believe that he's there and if you believe you're accountable to him, you're trying to make sure that there's a way that you can get in with him. That's your goal. And if you can find a way to get in with him, you'll be better. So the best news in the world comes that you can be given a, a place in the main artery. You can be invited in free of charge. Sometimes this same dynamic happens that once we're in it, Once we're in, we tend to kind of forget about everybody else. What they're feeling, what they're thinking, what the position they are in. We're concerned about ourselves. We're glad for ourselves and that life is good. Protect what I got because that's human nature. Now, we have been taking the last five weeks and now today's the sixth time to talk about the answer to a question. So if I'm part of this thing, part of church, part of following Jesus Christ. And you say, if I'm around here, so what are the things that I'm supposed to be 
what is, what is, what's involved with this? What do you want me to do, God, with this? And when we look at Scripture, we've seen collectively, God has a handful of things where he says, build this into your life, cornerstones in your life. If you are, stay involved and plugged in to these things, you almost can't help but grow in your relationship with him, grow in your freedom in him, grow in your, your, the, the fruit that comes out of your life knowing him. That's why we've called them six essentials. That they are things that the bedrock position yourself. So you just started a new school year and we encouraged you to say, when you think about these things, find a way to say this involvement is going to be non-negotiable. I'm going to put it in my life. I'm going to be involved in those things. Today is the sixth one of those things. And this one, perhaps it should be the most urgent of them. And we summarize it with this word, being on mission. Now, I'm going to illustrate something today, and I'm going to use a strobe light. I'm not doing it to be, um, I don't know, to, first of all, I'm not, I'm not going to try to cause anybody to have a seizure. Um, and and this, this isn't here to shock you or manipulate you, but that's going to serve a purpose here when we talk about this. Because we're going to look at a handful of statements that we're going to draw from the Word of God. I'm going to be in the book of John. If you've got the, a Bible or access to one, I would encourage you to look with me in the book of John. Very familiar chapter to start, John chapter 3. I'm going to show you a bunch of other scripture too. Try to camp for a while with Jesus and say, what is such a big deal that he says, when you come together and you follow me, you, this has to be essential in your life. It's going to revolve around a handful of statements that I'm going to give you are pretty. Some of them are very stark. But I would, I, would say, I would suggest to you that they are unignorable statements of truth about this area of our lives and what we're called to. Here is the first of those unignorable statements, and this is what it is. 100% of living humans will die. Now, there are some statistics we agonize over. In our world, when we hear things like two out of five of us will succumb to heart disease, it's a high number. One out of six of us will suffer a major stroke in our lives. Four out of ten of us have been or will be diagnosed with some form of cancer in our lifetimes. Susan, as I say that, you have people who come to mind. Some, for some, it's you. For some, it's very close to us. And we agonize over those statistics. But here is an irrefutable other statistic. One out of one of us will die. Okay, we get it, right? Well, we exhibit some shock and maybe surprise or outrage when that one out of one statistic happens um, in close proximity to us. Because we know, we say, sure, we know, eventually, just not right now is our desire. But here's the truth. Without regard for race or gender or creed or lifestyle, death will infect and overtake and claim every last one of us in the next nine decades. Or so. And here's the thing, as we speak, at this very moment, on planet Earth, most precious gift of all, the gift of 
life that's been given to human beings is ending at a rate of 106 human beings per minute. 1.8 human beings per second are transferring from life to death, roughly the rate at which this light is flashing. 1.8 humans per second are joining the ranks of the one out of one who will die. And James 4 gives us this little statement. Why do you, do you not even know what will, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? It is a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Music is called the universal language, but death is the universal destiny. It's the universal experience. Moses wrote a psalm, and in it he, wrote, he said this, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away and he prays. Teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. People enter at that moment, at this rate, at this rate they enter a state that is true for all human beings. Summarized in Hebrews 9 when it says man is destined to die once and after that he faces judgment. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us this good advice. Death is the destiny of every man. And then he says, hey, you, the living. The living should take this to heart. All right, how, how do we do that? Well, it leads us to the, a second unignorable truth. And let's make it a little nicer. Let's give us some good news. That truth is this. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That the one true God, the author of all life, the ruler of heaven and earth, that God initiated a love-driven intervention to spare humans from death. And it is concentrated on one source. It's concentrated on his son, his manifested self in the form of a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who came to the earth for one purpose, and that is to remedy death. Ephesians 2 says it like this, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich and mercy He made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in transgressions. And it's by grace that you may be saved, that you can be saved, that you are saved if you are. It's based on the kindness of God. Titus 3 says, but when the kindness and love of God our our Savior appeared, He saved us, rescued us, He redeemed us, He pulled us from impending death, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It all comes down to one simple act. 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And then you get to John chapter 3. And the whole book of John 
is, is focused on the identity and the authority of, the, of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is God in the flesh, it says right from the beginning of the book, who came for one purpose, and that is to rescue those represented by this flashing light. John 3.16, that you'll see behind the goalposts at games that I'll probably suffer through again today, rooting for my team. They're tied for first place for three more hours. John 3, verse 16. God loved the world so much. God so loved the world that he sacrificed, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not die, perish. But they'll have something they didn't have before. They'll have a life that is eternal. Eternal life. The diseased part of every human being, the part that we can't stop, we can't hold off, the part that will be responsible for every single one of us being one of these flashing lights before this century is over, most likely. The diseased part of us, of that human condition, can be reached and it can be treated and it can be healed only by Him. One of my favorite passages is 1 Peter 2.24. It says, He Himself, Jesus, He bore our sin, our penalty, our, our disease in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by His wounds, you have been healed. A standing before God that cleanses us of our position and our judgment is granted solely because it was earned by somebody else and given to us. It was earned by His Son and and dispensed onto me so that when God looks at me, He does not see my righteousness or lack thereof. He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus, that I'm clothed with. This righteousness, Romans 3 says, is from God, apart from law or people earning it, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. God's been talking about it all the time. This righteousness from God, here's where it comes. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to everybody who believes. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made Christ who never sinned to become the offering, to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Every tribe, every nation, every creed, any person, any carrier of life who's headed toward the flashing light has one redeeming alternative. He is the hope of the world. Death's sting can be removed. And Jesus is the only soul healer in the universe. He is the only sin cleanser. He is the only forgiveness grantor. He's the only one who can bestow life. He's the only one who can conquer death. John 5. If you got your Bible, look at John 5. Jesus is talking about himself. Verse 21. Just as the Father, God the Father, raises the dead and gives them, here it is, life, so the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, the Son dispenses life to whom he is pleased to give it. And it was said about him, this, salvation, remedy from death, 
is found in no one else. There is no other name given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Jesus' provision is complete. It is solitary. It is universally offered. Back to John chapter 3. In verse 3, Jesus talking to to, uh, Nicodemus. He declares, he says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless something happens to him. He's born again. What do you mean born again? First time I was ever heard this phrase. It's not like you and I hear it. Oh, yeah, it was born again. He has to be born again. Jesus, he's asked the question, what are you talking about? You can't climb back into your mother's womb. No, Jesus says, you're born of water. You're born by flesh. And then there's another birth that has to happen. A birth that is given to you free of charge, a birth by the Spirit. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And the one who will make you born again Verse 16 is the Son. You believe in Him. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal remedy. Eternal remedy from death. Jesus' uh, provision means this happened. An uncontainable God. Un, a God who cannot be held occupied a contained space to enact a plan that would satisfy his justice and bestow mercy, a regular provision sufficient for an entire population. You heard about the, um, I'm sure, about the two American medical missionary doctors who contracted Ebola were brought back to the States. And the story about them is that they... There was the one, one dose, three-part dose of ZMAP, which was this experimental drug, not even on the market, was made available. They tried to figure out who to give it to. And medically and humanly, I believe that God is responsible for a lot of what happened in this mix, but medically, what we're told is that these two people survived because the effects of this remedy, it was decided were split it may have been not enough for either of them but it's turned out to be sufficient and some was given to each of them dr kevin brantley and nancy Wrightbull, who were both followers of jesus christ testified to the fact that god saved them but they also used this remedy the remedy was made available the remedy for our spiritual state is found in one and only one place look at john chapter one The whole statement is about how Jesus Christ existed with God. He is God. How he came into the world. And it says something about him. It says, verse 9, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It says that, um, it, it says about him in this chapter, in him was life. Did you get that? In him was life. This life became the light of man. He is the hope of the world. 
And so 1 John 5 puts it this way. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So here comes the third unignorable truth that God gives us. Those who don't receive Christ's provision face eternity apart from Him. Jesus was painstakingly clear about this. That the offer was to everyone but it was essential. If you look in John chapter 8, verse 24, this is what he says about himself. I told you, you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. You know, a lot, parents do a lot of uh, fear-mongering with their kids, don't we? we? We make these big threats to get them to just shut up and obey at times. We just say, I, I just want you to do what I want. So we... So we come up with these things, these threats. And so a a parent will say to their kid, we are leaving on vacation in five minutes. And if this bedroom is not cleaned up, we are leaving without you. And any smart kid knows, you are not. You're not leaving without me. Oh, life might get hard for a while, but you're not... I call your leaving without me and I raise it three minutes of not doing cleaning my room. Let's see what you do with that. If, I, if, if you keep that up in the back seat, I'm going to stop this car, I'm going to turn around and go home and you are going to be grounded for life. No, you're not. It's fear-mongering. It's just saying the worst possible thing we can think of to get you to fall in line. Can I tell you something about Jesus? Jesus does not fear monger. Doesn't make idle threats. He's not trying to scare, he's never tried to scare people into behaviors. So when he says something like this, it's because it's absolutely accurate. It's real and it's true. So let's clarify. You're telling me that if I don't, wholesale accept the death of Jesus Christ as the sole exclusive provision for my status with God. When I die, God will initiate condemnatory measures against me. Is that what you're saying? No. Those measures have already been in place. We brought it upon ourselves. He doesn't initiate them. All he will do is withdraw the measures that have kept them at bay for a while. And we've said this before, when a person dies without God, dies without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and they're separated from God for all eternity, they get exactly what they asked for. Independence from God. Making, trying to make life work on their own without benefit of all the blessings He gives whether we believe in Him or not. If that's true, Can we put a face on that? It means that every single human being that you drive by on the street, every person who you walk by walking their dogs, every person whose locker is near yours and you go to the locker and there you don't know their name, but every single one of those people, every person in the cubicle next to yours and the one next to theirs is rushing headlong towards eternity without God if if their life is not intervened. Yes, but 
a door has been opened wide open for them. John chapter 6. Here's what Jesus says. 35, 635. Jesus declared, I'm bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. I, I, I told you, but as I told you, you've seen me and you still do not believe. But all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You see that? Whoever comes to me, wide open door. I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. Because the Father's will is that everyone, you see it? Everyone, everybody in that locker, everybody in that cubicle, everybody on the street, any, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at that last day. Romans 10 says, if you confess, and is this you meaning anybody? John 3, 16, whoever believes, anybody, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you get to be saved. Because it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It is open. The door is wide open. It's available. If you believe, if you call on his name, you'll be saved. Can I just call a timeout right now and just ask you in the audience right here, have you done that? Have you done it? Oh, we're going to talk about what we need to do with those who haven't. But have you? Have you? And if you're here today and you're not sure about that, the best news that you will ever hear in your life, the best news you will ever hear in your life is that right now, at this very moment, a loving God who desperately wants you to be connected and restored to him has done everything it takes to pay for your sin and his door is wide open to you. He says, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how much you've sinned. My grace will cover it. My son has paid for it. It is offered to you. If you simply will receive his payment by faith, as applied to your sin. Will you call on my name? Will you believe in my son? Will you simply say, wash me clean, credit it to my account? You can do that right now, right where we sit at this very moment. And God says, from that moment, Jesus said, I will never let you go. I will raise you up in the last day. He put it this way, you will never die. Your physical body may cease working, but you will never die. It is a ironclad promise and offer. It's the best news in the world. And the reality is, it's offered until we enter eternity. When that moment comes, then the unignorable truth is there, that those who don't respond to it find themselves without him. And then it gets to this unignorable truth that is still stunning to me, and it's this one. We, we, underlined we, the receptors, the ones who have received the forgiveness of Jesus, we are God's selected agents for delivering that message. Crazy as it seems, the most singular, most crucial message of all time is entrusted to us to deliver it to those who need it, the recipients of it, collectively and individually. 
among the things I've always thought, I want to ask God if we are allowed to. This would, how did you decide this would be your plan? You go, you sacrifice your son. He's allowed to be massacred and the sin of the world and my sin is put on him. And anybody who, who understands and hears that truth and responds by faith is given the covering of that righteousness. And you take that message and you, and you, you entrusted the carbon-based units? Bunch of, I mean, could you imagine Robert Oppenheimer? He, he develops the eight, atom bomb. The technology's there and he goes, all right, I got it. I got it figured out. Hey, 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 Johnny, take this little vial of enriched uranium over to the Pentagon guys, would you? I can't imagine that being entrusted to somebody like that. Because there are all kinds of failed marketing schemes where people said, let's invite people to be carriers of this message and that'll that'll work for us and it fails miserably. You probably remember the guy, uh, the, the LifeLock guy, right? Todd Davis. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. And he got on television, had these ads, and he said, I'm Todd Davis, CEO of LifeLock, and this is my, my um, social security number. Remember that? And he put his social security on sides of billboards, ads everywhere. You don't see that anymore. You know why? Because a while later, a Texas man used his social security number and opened out a $500 loan. Another open, used it and was able to open an AT&T wireless account. They did, he, Todd Davis knew nothing about it until creditors started calling him why they hadn't been paid for stuff that was done with his credit card number. More than 13 times his identity was stolen. Because the end user of that product didn't quite represent it especially well. And then... The Federal Trade Commission fined his company $12 million for deceptive advertising. Well, okay, you think, okay, maybe that's not, that's not good here. How about, how about what McDonald's did? McDonald's said, okay, you know who's going to be the best advertisement for people who eat at McDonald's? It's people who have eaten at McDonald's and users. Why don't we ask them to be the advertisers? So, that, so McDonald's opened up a thing, a, a hashtag, and it was called McD Stories, at McD Stories. And they invited all the people being McDonald's to tell your McDonald's story because, and then they were, it was open to the public, social media to publicize this. And here's what some of what got, was said there. People representing McDonald's. They wrote on it. I haven't been to McDonald's in years because I'd rather eat my own diarrhea. <laughs> McDonald's scalds baby chicks alive for nuggets. One time I walked into McDonald's and I could smell type 2 diabetes floating in the air and I threw up. That's my McD story. Share your McD story. The, the, here's one. The McRib contains the same, same chemicals used to make yoga mats. Mmm. My, my McD story was watching my little brother vomit his chicken nuggets into my aunt's hand. I was ho- here's my story. I was hospitalized for food poisoning after eating a McDonald's in 1989. Never ate there again, and I became a vegetarian. I should have sued. Within weeks, McDonald's took down McDee's stories. Because maybe it's not always the best idea to have end users represent your product. And yet, Almighty God, who who sacrificed the greatest sacrifice of all so that people could be restored to Him, He entrusts that message to pass it out 
to end users, you and me, and to the church. We are God's selected agents. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Jars of clay, God calls us. Carriers that are weak and vulnerable. But really, if you think about it, who better to represent being transformed than somebody who's been transformed? You and I have been transformed. And so we have been wholly entrusted with this privilege, as, and it's a mandate. Romans 10 says, the one that says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. We looked at that in, a minute ago. And then, he, then it says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Someone is not the guy who's paid to stand up in front of people. It's not Billy Graham. God, it is not the person who's out on the, just on, the, person who's out on the mission field trying to represent him. You know who he's talking about? Would you just glance around? Look on the other side of the room. That's who he's talking about. And look at ourselves. Here's the cool X factor about that. Because I'm weak and I'm, I stumble and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do it. But God made this promise when he, in what, when he first said it to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, which was right around them. And in Judea and Samaria, concentric circles. And then to the ends of the earth. Don't miss the first part of that verse. There's something that happens in jars of clay when we represent the message. I don't control it. I can't tell you how it will happen. But there's power that comes from the Holy Spirit when we do that. And as a result of that, here's the final of the unignorable statements I want to give you about this today. We must not tire. We must not falter. If you are part of this body, if you are part of His body, this is not. This is an essential. This is some. This is. This is significant for those people because those people are in your world. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, it uses this word, Christ's love, it compels us. It makes it so that you can't can't not do it because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, the life, uh, the love of Christ compels us so that we are told to use every available tool, every available means to, to, make, to present it in the clearest possible language, to understand that the church, what you're here doing right now, this, we do not exist for ourselves. It's not protect the main artery anymore. It's to make room. It is to say we are here for those who are looking, those who are not in yet. 1 Corinthians 9, I'm compelled, there's the word again, to preach. And that doesn't mean to do what I'm doing right now. It means to present a message, to articulate a message. I'm compelled to do that. 
Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, though I'm free and I belong to no man. God, and God is not telling you, you he, he's not telling you exactly where to go and what to do. And I don't belong, I don't have a law that requires me to do this. It is just a call and a summons to, to those who have been the receptors. Even though that's true for me, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I put myself in the position of that being the focus of my life. That passage in Romans 10 that we looked at, it says, how can they hear unless someone tells them? Do you know why people go to church and do you know why they think about the message of Christ? There's statistics that have been done about what compelled people to be open to hearing the message of Jesus. Advertising. Maybe we should advertise. 1%. People who have a special need and they feel a spiritual need and so they start looking for it. 2% of people who come look, who, to hear the message of Jesus or, or fi- put themselves in a position where it happened. Some people who go to church and they say, well, I just walked in. I just walked in, 3%. I like the pastor, 6%. That can't be right. <laughs> it's got to be a zero after that somewhere. I attended a special outreach event. Somebody put on something that would present this. One half of 1%. I like the programs that they did. Sports things or things for my kids. 3%. And this one. A friend or relative talked to me. 79%. They talked to me. How do we do that? We pray. We watch for opportunities. And we speak. Colossians 4. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. We must not tire. We must not falter. We do some things. What we've been saying in this series is we do things around here to try to resource you, to equip you, to invite you toward this. And you will see in the days that come, you will see we're, one of our seminars in our discipleship thing is, is finding ways to be effective in sharing our faith. When that comes, I invite you to, and encourage you to do that. We, we do a thing like we're going to do next, starting next week. Next week, that whole God trending thing, really, it's a, it, we're trying to gear it so that it's, an, it's especially geared for you to bring somebody with you. Say, so we're going to do something interesting. There's going to be live Twitter going on. We're going to talk about what's trending, and that's going to be the topic for the day use it that's fine but you are the catalyst you are the voice this is an essential for life when you're putting together your world for this school year can i urge you this is not my job or the church's job or someone else who's more comfortable's job this is an essential for what it means to be plugged in that you are on mission that you have somebody or somebody's who you see that God has put in your world and you say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to look and I'm going to find a way to speak. Since I started talking, 187 American citizens, 187, since I started talking, have entered eternity. 187 Americans.
at the rate of 1.8 per second. Since I started talking, over 4,000 living, breathing human beings have transitioned from life on earth to life after earth. We must not tire. We must not falter. We are never going to give up being what that's what we're about around here. As long as there's breath in me and I'm here, we will never stop pushing ourselves to say, that's who we're thinking about. That's who we're going after. It is everybody's job. And I invite you to make a commitment with me. I'm not going to ask you for numbers. I'm not going to ask you for specifics or dates by which you do it. But I'm going to ask you for something to happen in your heart where you would say to God, if I have been a recipient of this antidote and I'm the one called to do it, that I, you can count me about as someone who will pray and look and speak for somebody else who's yet to receive it. Now, we're finishing six weeks. And we're going to just do something to give us a chance to kind of just think about it together. So I've I got members of the uh, welcome team are going to stand right now, and they're going to start passing out a card to you. And we would like every, not one per family, one per individual. We would like you to grab one of these cards, and as it come, comes by, um, if you don't have something to write with, grab a pen, pencil. They got them with them. All right? They're going to just spread out really quick and do that fast. And... One side of the card is very simple. We do this occasionally around here just so we can kind of get a, a feel for who's around here. Yeah, if, if, if it's your first time here, if you have no intention of coming back, if, you have, if you're visiting some from out, anybody, somebody from out of town, we're still going to ask you, would you just fill this out? So it just says, here, here's me, print it. Here's who I am. This, I'm here today. All, that's all that is. I'm here today. And if you say, I don't, don't, I'm not, I don't like being told what to do. Don't tell me I have to sign anything because I'm not going to do it. Would you just humor us once? Right? We're not, no salesman's going to call. And while you do that, it helps us get the lay of the land about who's around us right now. Then there are a couple of things you can mark that just says if what your involvement around here is, just kind of your age. And then if you like, once you get that card and once you start filling it out, um, on the back side, all six of the things that we've been talking about are listed. And next to those six things are just some basic kinds of thoughts, commitments, action steps that we may have been talking about. And if you feel like you want to respond by saying, you know what, there's a step I want to take or, you, or even think about taking. There's a place for you to just put a check mark there. It's not, you're not signing up for anything that's going to be permanent. But one of them just says, you know what, I, maybe you're not in a cell group right now. When we were talking about connecting a community, you go, you know, I'm open to that. I'm just open to that. Maybe you're not in a place where you have an oar in the water right now where you're serving somewhere around here. And you say, you know, if that's part of what it means to be plugged in for God, I'm open to that. I'd be interested in knowing what, what it looks like to do that. And you could just mark that. If you would just say from your heart, you know what, I'm committed to being somebody who supports what God is doing in my world. I'm going to do it financially. And I'm just going to say it. It's, a, it's as much for you as anybody. No one's going to come chasing you after. But there's a place that just marks says, I'm committed to that. And there is a place where you can say, you know, there's this, uh, we have a, a means by which you can say, I give regularly and it's automatically uh, donated. And you can mark that I'd be interested in that. There's, a, there's a, just a way for you to say, 
as we thought about, I'm, I'm a worshiper and I want to be committed to being somebody who actively worships. This is just a way for you to say it and God to hear it. But it gives us an idea of what God's doing in our midst. And you might just mark that. And then the, one, the last one on there, or I think it is, is the one we just talked about that just says, you know what, I'm, there's something in me that says, I want to be plugged in in this way. I want, I want to be somebody who, who is on point who recognizes that I have the greatest privilege in the world and, and there is somebody I know who I'm going to pray that they meet Jesus Christ because he is the hope of the world. He's the hope of their life. Now, I'm going to just ramble for a minute while you do that, but I'm asking you to do it right now, okay? Don't, don't, wait, till, don't wait. Do it right now because in a minute we're going to walk back by and just collect them. And yes, you might think you're getting away with something. I'm not going to fill it out. I'm not going to... Okay, fine. If you don't... That's fine. But here's why, here's why we're doing this. As I, I want to tell you as, as a pastor and as a leader and somebody who's part of this journey with you that I, when I talk about this, this is not just me standing up in front of you telling you what you should do. I've been exercising through this my, in my own heart. And there's a part of me that says, I want to stand with a group of people. I want to be part of a group of people who say, we're willing to say, this is us. This is what we're about. This is what we do around here. I am committing to, to be involved in those things. And I'm asking you as a fellow struggler who's not, who's not perfect either, will you do it with us? Will you say, that's who I want to be. Those essentials are going to be true in my life. Some of you are just uh, getting that card, but if you can, finish up very, very quickly. And I'm going to tell you about next week again. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to decide on like Thursday. All right? And you're going to have a couple opportunities. Now, now I can't make promises about the technology about this, but you may hear more about it. But one of the things we want to do is that what what we're going to do is monitor social media. Here's why we're doing this. is because we understand something. That in our world, that which captures the attention of of our collective consciousness in a society, it says something about us. It's what we're interested in, what, what we're doing about it. And so every week there is something that peaks in interest. And it may be something really, really surfacy. It may be something really profound. But if you watch what's trending in social media, that gives, that's a mirror that shows us what's going on in our world. So what we're going to do is we're going to say, we're going to take whatever is going on that our cu- culture is talking about, and then we're going to say, let's see what God might have to say about that. It's going to be as relevant as that week's Twitter feeds. We're also going to have an element where during the service, you're going to have opportunity to use social media to respond to what we're doing. We're going to put stuff on the screen. We'll screen some of it, okay? Right? Certain words we don't want you to use, criticisms of the guy up front, that kind of thing. But you're going to see and have an opportunity to respond to it. And then we were looking for ways to even say, if there are two or three things going on in our world in a certain week, that you could say, Here's the one that we, I would most think, or the people in my world, I would like most to invite somebody to hear about. And we're going to decide what that is, and then I can't wait to hear what I say about that, which I won't know until the weekend. That's what's going to happen starting next week for four weeks, and I hope that you'll invite people to be part of it. Okay, now, if you haven't... Okay, we're going to ask you to, to uh, turn those in. All right, how, how are we doing this? Are we like passing it? You're just walking around? Pass it to an aisle. Pass it to an aisle if you haven't done that yet, all right? Pass it to another. Did you already do it? You guys are good. Okay. If you didn't have opportunity to do that, 
Um, on your way out, we're going to have a basket by the doors or on the welcome center, and you can drop it in there. Okay, we really, really want to hear from you. And then we invite you. Jump in with us. Let's go after this. Let's live the way we're intended to live and see the optimum effect of being connected and plugged in spiritually following Jesus Christ together. Pray with me. If those stats are true, Lord, I saw where one out of every 113 people will die in a year, and that means that one year from right now, there will be people, there might be three or four people in this room who have entered eternity. That's a weird thought. There are some of us who have just said goodbye recently. It was painful even to think about it today to somebody who has entered eternity. It is a harsh world and cruel. Death is painful. And we know you hate it, and we do too. And we want to thank you that you have made a way so that ultimate death can be solved, that the sting of death is removed. And together, we want to say, and I want to say this to you, Jesus, risen Jesus, you are the giver of life. You're the king, and you conquered death for us. We praise you today. We are ultimately absolutely dependent on you. Even today in this place, we hope that there might have been some people who just inclined their hearts to you, Jesus, and said, I believe. Give me the gift of eternal life. I trust you to pay for my sin. That even right now that could be happening. And then, God, would you open the door for us to see with your eyes how deeply you love the people around us that we look right past sometimes. That we would see opportunities and we would say, I am ready to be on mission because this is the greatest news anybody could ever hear, whether they recognize it or not. I want to be an instrument of delivering that news through my life and with my words and make this a place where people enter the door that leads to life through your son. Thank you for inviting us on this journey and now take us from this place to accomplish things for eternity that we will, we will revel in because we belong to you. We pray in the living name of Jesus Christ. Amen.